Hello and welcome. This is the Ace in the Wild podcast. I am Desi, your host, and I am coming back to you after an extended period of time off. And the holidays are over now, and I find myself with time to dedicate to more episodes. I don't plan to have a month break in between episodes going forwards. It's just with the holidays and everything else, I was delayed. And today, I would like to discuss a topic that I've been thinking about for a while. I just didn't know how to approach. And it's something that I've struggled with myself and something that I've been quasi-diagnosed with and something that I have a lot of traits that would put me under that category. And that is the autism spectrum, or ASD. This episode is going to focus on whether autism and asexuality are connected. And first, I really want to address what autism is, and I'm going to go directly from autismspeaks.org. Autism or autism spectrum disorder slash ASD refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal communication. And it is four times more likely among biologically born boys than girls. And there's also a link between older maternal age and autism. I believe once a mother passes 30 years old, it becomes exponentially higher per year beyond 30, whether their child is more likely to have autism than not. And autism is sort of new in terms of research. I believe DSM just broadened the category in 2013 for the DSM-5, and it has a wide variance of traits. And there's really three main categories that I want to talk about here in terms of traits. The first category is just autism itself, and this is usually accompanied by learning delays, severe trouble socialization, severe trouble stimuli, and developmental delays. The second is high-functioning autism, which is characterized by lack of social skills, but not necessarily lack of developmental standards. People with high-functioning autism can usually excel in school, usually don't have difficulties learning things, they just have difficulties fitting in with peers. And the final category is Asperger's syndrome. And this is something that has not really had a whole lot of research done on it up until the past 20 years. The initial person who coined the term Asperger's was Hans Asperger, and he was unfortunate to live in the Weimar Republic to early Nazi Germany, and so his, a lot of his research was either destroyed or not taken credible because of the time frame that he lived in. Even though he himself had Asperger's syndrome or high-functioning autism, there's actually a pretty fine distinction between the two. But there's not a lot of research done, and the research that has been done has been sort of dismissed based on the time that Hans Asperger lived in. And just for the purpose of simplicity, I'm primarily referring to people that are on the high-functioning autism slash Asperger's syndrome for this video, because usually people that are low-functioning or that have severe developmental delays um, need assisted care. There are stereotypes, and it's largely the reason why I'm doing this episode is there are so many stereotypes on autism. Like in the show The Big Bang Theory, the character Sheldon. Sheldon Cooper is seen as having autism and being on the spectrum. He's described and portrayed as a very like emotionally aloof, sort of humorless character, extremely intelligent, able to understand quantum physics and whatever, but uh, completely aloof to social behaviors and social interaction, which is true to some people on the spectrum. And I'm going to say on the spectrum in reference to people on the ASD or autism spectrum disorder, just because it's shorter to say than ASD or autism spectrum, to say on the spectrum. And there are also characters like Spock from Star Trek, who I guess is kind of seen on the spectrum, and several other people in media. One of the more popular movies portraying autism was in the late 80s. It was a movie called Rain Man, and it had Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise in it. And it was 
pretty problematic because there was a lot of stereotypes intertwined in the character. Right off the top of my head, I can remember that the character could, I think he dropped like a bunch of toothpicks and the character could like count how many toothpicks have dropped, which is, I guess, seen as like some savant ability that autistic people have, which isn't true. And another thing is, is like every time like the character, Tom Cruise's character tried to give him like a hug, he would like shriek and wail, which some people on the spectrum are touch averse, but for the most part, that's not really true. It's movies like this and portrayals like Sheldon Cooper. It does bring awareness, but a lot of the time it's not good awareness. But that's not the focus of today. My focus is basically, yes, to illuminate what autism is to an extent, but also to see if autism and asexuality are connected. I've been listening to a lot of media. One of the podcasts I listened to, which was kind of a joking podcast with some comedians on it, was doing like a skit where it's just like, oh, well, autistic people are only interested in like childish hobbies or whatever, and they don't do sex, and they're like, they're non-sexual. And it really bothered me. So it kind of gave me the motivation to do this episode. Before I really want to go into the nitty gritty, I want to mention the sources that I'm using. Three primary sources. One of them is a peer-reviewed study, one of them is a YouTube channel, and one of them is an article that I discovered written by somebody on the spectrum. And the first source is the Sexplanations channel by Dr. Lindsay Doe. She's a sexologist. I found it very informative, I found it very entertaining, very lighthearted, and it's really enjoyable. The episode that she did on autism and asexuality was about 12 minutes long but it was packed with information. It's really the only YouTube video that I found that directly addresses the correlation and link between autism and asexuality. And the next one is an article called Asexual Autistic Unacknowledged, the Intersection of Ace and Autistic Representation in Media is written by Gray Weinstein in 2021. And they wrote an article a couple pages long, not too long of a read, and I found it really enlightening. And this article is written by somebody on the spectrum as well. So it had direct, direct experiences that I found useful. And finally, the primary source that I use from a published peer-reviewed article, and it's called Beyond the Label, Asexual Identity Among Individuals on the High-Functioning Autism Spectrum by Ronis et al. It was published in 2021, and it is actually a full-blown study with a sample size, the sample group, with standard deviations, means, and a control group. It has all the bells and whistles of a study, and I've gone through it. It's not too long of a study because there isn't a whole lot of information on this yet, but it is my first foray into using academic studies in these. So I'm pretty excited. And to start with, I wanted to talk about where I fit on the spectrum. I haven't been formally diagnosed with autism. As I said before, it has a wide variety of characteristics. It is considered a form of neurodiversity and... One in 44 people is, has autism or is on the spectrum, which is about, you know, 2%, 2.5% of the overall population, which ironically enough is about the same population as asexuals. And I would say in terms of how I fit on the spectrum are issues that revolve around communication that I've had in the past. I still struggle with that sometimes, but when I was growing up, I largely based it on because I was homeschooled, because I live in the country, because I'm an only child. But a lot of it might have been just me being on the spectrum and me not having the resources and education to learn how to deal with it. I'm not sure, but it definitely does fit in terms of struggle with other people on the spectrum. Another thing is my tendency to repeat things. I definitely still struggle with that today. And info dumping. Info dumping 
quote-unquote, is something that's very common with people on the spectrum, where you just go off on a tangent. I'm notorious for going off on tangents. I've gotten better at it, but even like during some of these episodes, I just will go off on tangents. And I think it's more me being critical of me, and it's not really other people noticing as much, but it's definitely something that I've experienced. Another thing is, is I'm very routine oriented. I tend to sometimes get stuck in rut where I'm just, I get in a comfort zone and it's hard for me to break out of it. I've gotten exponentially better at dealing with this through therapy and through new experiences and just my desire to go out and make friends and explore the world. And even doing this podcast, this is new territory for me and it's, it's very therapeutic for me. And another huge trait and probably the biggest, I struggle with eye contact. And it's not that I'm afraid to look people in the eyes. It's just, for me, it's kind of like looking at the sun. I can, you know, glance at somebody's eyes. Just, and I've gotten, again, this is something I've gotten better with over time and I focus on because it's important to let people know that you're listening to them. And if I'm drifting off of my thoughts and looking all over the place, it tends to be very distracting to people and it tends to, unfortunately, hinder the conversation. And a quote that was taken from the YouTube channel Sexplanations, which is actually one of my sources, is that eye contact, quote unquote, can be very painful. It's distracting. It immediately scatters your thoughts in a thousand different directions. You're unable to focus on what the other person is saying because you're trying to focus on maintaining arbitrary eye contact. And this resonates for me. I'm not trying to be rude if I don't look you in the eyes when I'm talking to you, but if I'm coming up with something or if I'm trying to collect my thoughts, it's too distracting to look at somebody in the eyes. And it's not because I'm intimidated or anything else like that. It's just because it's too intense. It's like looking at the sun. Another thing that I do that could be considered on the spectrum is something called stimming. I tend to play with my hair. I tend to shake my legs. And I've gotten called out for it in the past. And because I'm so reluctant to even like associate with myself being on the spectrum because of characters like Christiana, because of the negative connotation, it's extremely embarrassing. And when I was dating, it was very, very stressful and upsetting. I'm not going to complain about my partner calling it out because it's distracting to have someone right next to you shaking their leg. And I notice other people do it, even though I do it myself, which is kind of hypocritical, but I get called out for it. It's pretty embarrassing. One of the other traits is my low frustration tolerance at times. Although this is something that's completely changed with therapy, the littlest things used to set me off. It's just, I'd be low on spoons and I'd already be you know, upset or frustrated or having a bad day. And it's just like, I get a flat tire and I could go ballistic. I would just flip out or I'd have like a light bulb that went out in my car or something, just something minor, but it just tipped me over the edge and I just couldn't handle it. I felt powerless and I flipped out. This is something that I'm able to do breathing exercises now and deal with. And the last thing is my aloofness and going off on tangents, which I've already kind of touched on. And my aloofness is actually kind of interesting because it's, not that I'm trying to distance myself. It's just a lot of the times I can't deal with the situation. Like if I'm in a crowded room, and I don't know a lot of people. I tend to try to just distract myself with thoughts or like drift away because there's too many emotions, too much things going on in the room. For me, people kind of have like wavelengths to them. And when there's so many people that I don't know and I'm not comfortable with and I'm not familiar with in a room, or if there's people that are negative or people that I'm comfortable around, I just tend to kind of go off my own little world because it's just too intense. Now that I've kind of addressed where I stand on the spectrum, I just want to touch on some general data from the sources that I've used. 2% of the population, or about 1 in 44 individuals, 
has autism or is on the spectrum. As I mentioned before, it's about the same percentage as asexuals. According to the study, people on with autism generally associate with being more asexual than the general population. The study showed about 5% of 300 and something samples. Just as an aside, people on the spectrum are seven times more likely to be gender variant or neurotypical than people that aren't on the spectrum. And about one third of the people on the spectrum identify as non-binary. And I identify as non-binary, so that's where I fit in. And a quote from the study that I referenced earlier is no studies to date have considered how these individuals understand and conceptualize their sexual identity. And there's a lot of assumption. The study that I used had 332 people on the spectrum and 5.2% of them identified as asexual, which is about twice the percentage of people in the general population, but still not a huge amount of representation. And this is confirmed by control groups that were interviewed. I do want to mention that the study noted that some of the individuals that who identified as ace, quote, linked their asexual identity more with lack of desire or perceived skill to engage in interpersonal relationships than a lack of sexual attraction. And this, I think, is part of the reason why the stereotypes exist is because asexual people tend to not have as many partners as compared to people who are not on the spectrum. It is largely why there is an overrepresentation or people who identify as ace because they simply do not have the same experiences and do not have the same skill sets to pursue romantic or sexual relationships or to pursue regular relationships for that matter. Now that some of the hard data has been addressed, I wanted to talk about some stereotypes. And the reason why I'm bringing up stereotypes is because stereotypes are generally the reason why a lot of people on the spectrum are seen in such a negative light and why they're so destructive and why, as mentioned above, people on the spectrum are a lot of times unwilling to even try to pursue romantic or even platonic relationships. One is that jokes go over the heads of people on the spectrum. So a lot of the time they are the butt of the joke without even knowing it. Another stereotype is they're perpetually into childish hobbies, such as trains, comics, and My Little Pony, and have like this Peter Pan complex and refuse to grow up. This stereotype is used very often, and it is quite frankly pretty disgusting. If people are into trains and comics, and people should be able to be whatever they're into without getting grief for it. And this is largely, I think, because of toxic masculinity, because of course men are seen as the only ones having autism and they are ostracized for it because they don't you know they don't have man-like interests or whatever i think people in the spectrum often see this cold robotic individual with no empathy this is especially true for people like sheldon cooper from the big bang theory this is not a very good representation at times when he's like that and even though i'm kind of on the edge of the spectrum i've known people in the spectrum who are complete opposite of this who are extremely extremely sensitive and that's why they have to distance themselves and find safe spaces or quiet areas is because they just can't deal with all the energy they're picking up from people. And just as a result of some of these stereotypes is autistic people are often infantilized or infantilized, I think is the word for it, basically treated like children because they can't properly communicate. And because of pervasive stereotypes, many people on the spectrum find it very difficult to find romantic partners because they're seen as childlike and incapable of being proper adults. And sex, of course, is seen as an adult activity, 
And sex is also, although it is pursued actively and marketed, it is also like seen as perverse. You have these Western values that say that sex is bad, but at the same time, like all the advertising, everything, sex is like everywhere. So it's kind of a strange situation. And people on the spectrum, because they're seen as childlike, are seen like, oh, well, you can't, you're not able to pursue this adult activity because you're a child and you don't deserve to, or you're not cool enough to. And in terms of actual traits that are not stereotypes, it is often hard for people on the spectrum to mask their traits. One of the issues is eye contact, and a lot of people on the spectrum really try to focus on eye contact, and it's very difficult. For me, it's like looking at the sun, and when I'm, or people on the spectrum, and I'm just using myself as an example, when I constantly try to look someone in the eye, it's hard for me to process my thoughts. It's hard for me to stay in my own head. It's hard for me to follow conversations because for me, eyes are like portals. I tend to, one of, I'm I'm going back to stereotypes. One of the stereotypes is that people on the spectrum can't read facial expressions. I definitely do not fall under that category. I am extremely sensitive to facial expressions, even if they're not related to me. Like if somebody remembers something and like, it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, they forgot something. It's like, oh, did I say something wrong? Because I just, I noticed the change on their expression. I often assume it's because of me. I'm like, oh, did I do a faux pas or something? And that's not it at all. Another thing is stimming or self-stimulation. This comes in the form of like hand flapping, rocking back and forth, side to side. Or for me, it's like shaking my leg, playing with my hair. If, and this is something that's really hard because I need to do it to kind of ease myself to regather my spoons. If you're into spoon theory, you know what that is. And it's really, really annoying when people are like, stop playing with your hair, stop doing this, stop doing that. It's like really kind of a catch-22 situation. There's really not a winner and a loser here because like I need to do it to keep my spoons up and to distract myself and to stay calm. But at the same time, I get why people have an issue with it because they're trying to talk to me and they're trying to have a serious conversation and I'm fiddling with my hair and shaking my leg or whatever. So it's something that I want to work on, but a lot of people on the spectrum try to mask these. Like they'll focus so much on sitting skill or <laughs> sitting, s- <laughs> the skill of sitting still. I think that's what it should be called, the skill of sitting still. So they're so focused on sitting still that they're not able to maintain a conversation because all their focus is on like masking their stimming. And my form of stimming, you know, is shaking my leg or playing with my hair. People on the spectrum that have more severe forms of stimming, like rocking back and forth, this is a lot harder for them. And imagine trying to be on a date and you're so focused on like holding still and this person is talking to you across the table or whatever and you're just like, you're freaking out. So, and this is really, really destructive and it really, it needs a lot more awareness if somebody is on the spectrum of shaking or moving around or or doing their stimming, do your best to cut them some slack. They're not trying to be annoying. They're not trying to distract you. They're not trying to say, oh, I don't care about what you're doing or what you're saying. They're saying, like, I'm trying to be present, but I need to release these brain goblins. Yeah, that's actually a term one of my friends on the spectrum uses is brain goblins. And in order to release the brain goblins, we need to stim. We need to distract ourselves because there's a lot going on in our heads. There's a lot of neurodiversity. And if we sit still, all of our focus is going to be on sitting still and not on you. So please bear with us.
Hello everyone, this is your friendly neighborhood Desi coming in for a late edit. I have noticed I sound a little bit agitated listening to this, and I figured I'll put this in here now. It's kind of an aside, but I go off on tangents, so deal with it. Is a lot of issues that I've had with making friends in the past. Like I feel like I put myself out there a lot, and I try, and it's really, really frustrating because people have it seems like people, at least in my part of the country, have like no tolerance for any sort of neurodiversity, despite, you know, the queer representation in Western Washington where I live. I've talked to other people about this. It's extremely difficult to make friends, and nobody has any tolerance for social slip-ups. If you try too hard, you're seen as like pathetic. It's like if I make one little faux pas, if I say something, or if I use like an inside joke, people just get so upset and offended, and they just don't want to be friends, and they talk crap behind you, behind my back. And this has happened so many times, and I'm tempted to say like, oh, well, you're mean, I'm on the spectrum. It's really difficult, because I want to use the spectrum as like a shield, to be like, hey, you guys are being ridiculous. I'm just trying to be friendly, trying to make conversation, but every little slip up and faux pas that I make, you guys just crucify me for. It's, it's, I wanted to put this in here somewhere. I know it doesn't have to do necessarily with the topic on hand, but it's really sad. And like, I, I've actually cried about this in the past because I like try so hard to make friends and yet nobody has any tolerance whatsoever for any sort of slip up that you make in a social situation. Like one of the situations was, is I was with these two people that I really liked with my friend and we we're in the back of the car and I had too much to drink or whatever. And I got a little bit loud and the guy I was with was, you know, we were both loud, we were both drinking and his like, girlfriend was just like oh my gosh you guys are so obnoxious and you know i thought we were getting along well i got along with him really well but she was just like i can't be around desi anymore he's too obnoxious because of that one situation so and other things i, I don't want to get into too much but anyways thank you thank you for coming to my ted talk another trait is people on the spectrum tend to take things literally sex explanations the youtube channel is when she was talking about in sex ed they often used they put a condom on a banana to protect from S or protect from STDs and have safe sex. So one of the examples she used, which I thought was rather amusing, is that people on the spectrum, when they're ready to have sex, will put the condom on the banana and have sex without actually putting the condom on genitalia, because that's what the sex head person said. You put condom on a banana, you'll be fine. So they put the condom on the banana and proceed to have unprotected sex, and that's how it works. I know this is a kind of a gross stereotype, but I found it very amusing and kind of a silly analogy of how people on the spectrum take things literally. Another analogy I want to use is when people have conversations, especially small talk, it can feel like these conversations are a script and they are the only ones without the lines. And it's very difficult. A lot of people on the spectrum hate small talk because they're just... They're really good at like getting into specific topics, but when they're just talking about random stuff or lighthearted, casual things, pop culture, that sort of thing can be just really frustrating. And it's funny because a lot of people will talk about the weather to me because I'm a weather nerd. I'll just start going into the weather like, oh, look at the cumulonimbus clouds over to the west. You know, it looks like it could be thunderstorms. Oh, can you move this? When you leave the wind and everything else, there could be this coming, and then people lose interest in about two seconds because they just wanted to have small talk, and I'm going on about the weather. So I can only imagine someone being on the spectrum and having the misfortune of their date asking them, hey, do you like card games? And they go on for half an hour about Magic the Gathering. And going back to the actual topic on hand, 
because of Western sex-averse culture, people on the spectrum really don't have the resources necessary to understand how to engage in sexuality or in activities to express sexual desire. And it's interesting in the year of our Lord 2023 now, Happy New Year's everyone, that this is still prevalent. Like our sex ed and the way we go about talking about sex is quite frankly archaic and it needs work and there's people on the spectrum and there's people in general just need to have better education. And because our society, at least in the United States and in the West, is so like disgusted and scared and terrified of talking about anything sexual, even though everything is so sex focused, but yet we're scared to talk about sex. And I think it's a huge problem. Because of all the factors mentioned above, this can lead to guilt and embarrassment for people on the spectrum. The stimming especially, like if somebody catches you stimming, it could be really traumatic. Like if you're like rocking back and forth and so it's like, would you stop doing that? I'm trying to have a serious conversation and you keep fiddling around or doing this and this and doing that. It can be really embarrassing, very harmful. And there are people on the spectrum that carry lifelong trauma from being bullied in school because kids are freaking mean. I wasn't a huge victim of bullying, but I also got a lot of crap because I played with my hair, I shook my legs. And of course, I had the gall to not dress like everybody else. I did things like that. And sometimes I was pretty like naive with conversation. And I still bear a lot of those scars. And I talk about that more extensively in the intro introduction about myself for reference. People on the spectrum are also very hyper aware sometimes of when they're info dumping, when they're stimming, and they just, they catch themselves doing it. If they're info dumping, this happened at my last convention that I went to as somebody on the spectrum was just talking about something in depth with the rest of us. And she was actually making a really good point. We're all listening. And then like one of us chips in and she's just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm taking up the entire conversation. I'm sorry. Can you go? I, I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. I'm so embarrassed. Like They're just so scared of making faux pas. And it's very sad. It almost makes me want to cry sometimes when I see it. People on the spectrum also tend to have trust issues because of being hurt in the past. And again, a lot of this goes back to childhood. When you're not part of the group or you're not part of the crowd, when you don't fit in, you're ostracized. A lot of research and some of the articles that I've read talk about high school being exceptionally traumatic because based on the study and based on the population, like most of the people on the spectrum have a fairly normal libido and a fairly normal sex drive. And of course, for males who are four times more likely to be on the spectrum, this spikes in high school. And even me being asexual, like had these butterflies and these fluttering feelings. And it's exceptionally difficult to have the desire to pursue romantic relationships or even sexual relationships to have these desires and not be able to obtain the goal, not be able to get the girl or the guy or the person. And it's devastating. And high school can be very traumatic. And fortunately, as time progresses, there's a larger representation in high schools, and it's easier for people to find their groups. But still, like when you hit puberty and you have a desire to be with another person or to date, but your social skills are so, you know, you have limited social skills and everybody makes fun of you and you're kind of ostracized and people are so into popularity and clicks in high school. And if you're not part of the in-group or if you're ostracized by your peer group, there is a very low probability that you're going to find a partner. And now that I've addressed 
sort of the traits, assumptions, and some of the research. I want to talk about the contradictions and problems with the assumption that people on the spectrum identify as ace due to the lack of understanding of the term asexuality. Many people on the spectrum, as I've mentioned before, can't really pursue sort of meaningful romantic relationships and have a lot of struggles, especially on dating apps, because, you know, you have to have like the lingo and buzzwords and have the game or whatever you want to call it. And so they often pursue and desire sex, but simply can't obtain it. And this is noted in the study. And so they check the box as asexual simply because they can't obtain sex or romantic relationships. And a quote directly from the study is, is that some individuals with high-functioning autism may understand the term asexual in the way that it has been used to erroneously stereotype individuals with disabilities, including individuals in the spectrum, as non-sexual and uninterested in engaging in sexual activity. This is one of those situations where it's a combination of sampling error and a combination of pervasive stereotypes is that autistic people are more likely to be asexual. Because it appears that while autistic people are more likely to be queer, more likely to be non-binary, and more likely to have different gender expressions, they also appear to have pretty normal libido compared to people that aren't on the spectrum. While they might have the desire to pursue romance and to pursue sex, they simply can't achieve those goals because of either trauma because of partners that are unwilling to give them a time of day because they don't have the proper communication skills or because they're seen as like mentally deficient or whatever. And it might be that they are more likely to be asexual, but it's fairly negligible. And it appears that it's mostly based on stereotypes, given the official data. And just to sort of back this up, I'm going to use another study, a 2013 study. And it found that 79% of the sample of individuals with high-functioning autism had not engaged in sexual activity with a partner in the previous month. And this is a study with several hundred individuals. So among the normal population, I'm not sure what the number is, but I'm sure it's much higher. But that is almost 80% of the people on the spectrum who have not had sex for the last month. And the people that I know in general, and this is anecdotal, of course, I would say 60 to 80% of them have had sex within the past month, so it's fairly lopsided, the comparison. And at this point, I sort of want to just start concluding the information that we've gathered here, the assumptions, the studies, stereotypes, and the traits. People on the spectrum represent about the same percentage of people who identify as ace, which is about 2 to 3% of the general population, more or less. Individuals in the spectrum, as I mentioned before, are more likely to identify as queer, trans, non-binary, etc., etc. It's a form of neurodiversity, and a big reason why people on the spectrum are more willing and more likely to identify as such is because they tend to see things as black and white, and when they realize that they're attracted to people of the same gender, they are more willing to embrace that because they don't really have the same shame threshold, I should say, as people that are not neurodiverse. They're more willing to accept themselves because they know what they want, they know what they are, and the world is more black and white for them. And just to reiterate what I've talked about before is they are, based on the study, they are more likely to identify as ace. The study showed 5.2% check the box for asexual. However, some of the people surveyed who were on the spectrum 
identify as such likely due to a lack of sexual activity versus a desire for activity. Like an example is that someone might be interested in sexual activity, but is hindered in a way which makes them unable to obtain it. Many autistic people have difficulties finding relationships or sexual partners due to pervasive stereotypes that betray them as childlike creatures, prone to meltdowns, prone to flapping their hands, prone to faux pas that could embarrass their partners, and unable to properly communicate. Sex is seen as an adult activity, and autistic people don't get to partake in it because they're seen as children. I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but I'm mentioning it now, is that there is an apparent lack of research on this topic. There are only a few studies that I was able to find. I'm happy that I found a peer-reviewed study with a sample size, albeit the samples were largely taken from online sources, given it's hard to get 332 people together in, in the same area to do such a study. But it is data, and I'm glad that I found it, and I'm glad that I have it. I plan to do more of these sort of peer-reviewed studies. I enjoy this sort of thing. It's what I went to college for and what I enjoyed in college. So I am very delighted to have found something and also to find the articles written by these individuals and, of course, the YouTube channel by Lindsay Doe. Based on all of this, it appears that asexual and autism might have a slight correlation but it is definitely not as pervasive as people would stereotype it. And so anybody saying that, oh, people on autism are only interested in trains and doing childish activities, those are gross misconceptions. They are harmful, and they just make it more difficult for people on the spectrum to cope with life because many of them desire romantic partnerships. But because our society is so consumed with conformity, consumed with materialism, and consume with proper quote-unquote etiquette, it can be very difficult and very stressful for people on the spectrum to pursue romantic relationships. And I will say, based on my experience with the queer community, is that people on the spectrum are well represented. And this, of course, is due to the fact that they are more likely to be neurodiverse and more likely to be trans, non-binary, etc., and more willing to embrace their true selves. And the queer community is willing to take them under the wing. As an ace myself, I've found that I'm sort of like an orphan because I really haven't found too many spaces where I can express myself. And the queer community is one of the only places where I can go and say, hey, I'm Desi, I'm an ace. And instead of question or deny that I exist, I'm immediately welcomed. We understand, we embrace you, we accept you, welcome aboard. And that feels good. And I'm glad that the queer community is a place for people on the spectrum who have gender dysphoria or who are non-binary or who are on the spectrum of queerness are able to find a home. This is something that I think I will do more research on in the future if more studies come up. And I'd love to talk more about this with people who are on the spectrum if they've had issues because a lot of this is anecdotal. I'm glad I found a study, but I feel like there's more research to be done and I would love to hear any feedback. And just before I wrap things up here, I would like to point out that I have gotten, like, I think I have 10 followers now on Spotify. Have a fair amount of downloads so thank you all who have listened and i have put my contact information on the 
Podbean page for my website, Ace in the Wild. I know there's a few of you who I know personally. Hi and thank you. A few of you I've actually talked to recently. And I would love to hear any feedback or any commentary. So please message me if you want me to cover a topic, if you want to just say hi or whatever. Like I said in the past, part of the reason why I do this is to make friends. So thank you again. Anyways, thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day and the rest of your week. Happy New Year, and I will see you on the next one. Peace.